0: I have been in a series called When the Church Prays, and today I want to talk to you about prayers that plead. Prayers that plead. Last week I I started, and I don't want to highlight everything I did last week. If, If you would like to go back, if you've missed any of these, you can go back to our website and you can catch up with us. But we recognized last week that Moses, when he was approaching God in prayer... He knew certain things that helped him along his way in prayer. He knew that the perfections of God were unchanging. He knew that God is perfectly loving, that God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just. He knew that the purposes of God were unchanging. He knew that the promises of God were unchanging. But he also knew that through his prayer, he was watching the plan of God unfolding. And that we as a church, as we begin to enter in in prayer and and we have had a week of prayer and there have been seasons where people have come in and just walked before the Lord. And last week we talked about what it means to stand in the gap in prayer. We knew that Moses was the mediator between God and the children of Israel. Jonah was the mediator between God and the Ninevites. Jesus is the mediator between God and us. He stood in the gap prayed for us and died for us. And as a result of that, we as spirit-filled believers now are walking in a priesthood of believers and we in turn can pray in desperation as we stand in the gap for those that are lost and ask that God would relent his wrath. And as I said, at the conclusion of this service, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and we're gonna sing that song, In the Name of Jesus. I heard that on the radio recently and I, I told them, I said, we need to learn this because the power is in the name of Jesus. And we need to learn to sing those promises. But I want to return back to a passage in Exodus and look a little bit closer at the way that Moses understands the unfolding plan of God so that we recognize that our prayers are not meaningless. In fact, Moses knew that God was in control of all things and he knew that prayer, because of, that, because of God knowing all things, does not make prayers meaningless. Instead, he understood that God has ordained prayer by which he can and must each of us, participate in the plan of God. Moses knows God's purposes, and he believes that God is going to use his prayers to accomplish these purposes. God has chosen in his plan to make prayer a powerful means by which you and I interact with him and effectively shape the course of history. I want, I want to repeat that to you. Listen closely. God has chosen in his plan... To make prayer a powerful means by which we interact with him, effectively changing the course of history. Now that is not an overstatement. That statement booms throughout scripture. How do we know? Because people prayed and fire fell from heaven. People prayed and the lame began to walk. People prayed and the hungry were fed. People prayed and the dead came back to life. In fact, you cannot look at the book of Acts at what was happening as the church was being launched. Every major move of God in that book came about in response to the prayers of God's people. It says they gathered together in chapter 1, devoted to prayer. In chapter 2, the Spirit of God pours out on them like flames of fire. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people are saved. Chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple at the time of prayer. And by the beginning of chapter 4, many have heard the word and believed, and the number came to about 5,000. Chapter 6, it says, they devoted themselves to prayer. And at the beginning of chapter, in a few verses later, it says that the disciples were multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 7, Stephen looks up into heaven and he prays. And right after that, in chapter 8, the church under persecution is scattered. And everywhere they go, they are preaching the word of God. Chapter 9, Paul is saved and connects with Ananias. All of this was within the context of prayer. Same thing in chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius are praying. And the doors open to spread the gospel to all of the nations. Chapter 12, Peter is in jail. And the church is praying, and an angel pokes him on the side and leads him outside. Chapter 13, church leaders are worshiping, and they are fasting and praying, and the Spirit says to them to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work which he has called them. And a missionary movement begins that will turn the Roman Empire upside down. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in the middle of prison and are praying and God sends a little earthquake and the jailer and his family are saved. All of this in the context of God's people praying. I say it again, God has not called his church today to watch history. God has called us to shape history through our prayers for the glory of his great name. And we are seeing in the Bible a God who wills to work through willing intercession. We are saying that when we pray, God responds. When we take our God-given place and use our God-given privilege to participate with him, what he accomplishes through the church is unbelievably miraculous. It will change our planet. So God help us to see that Moses prayed and it had a big effect. God, help us to realize that when we pray, it has an effect. So how does Moses pray? Three things I want to share with you quickly. Number one, Moses pleads for God's mercy upon sinners. In Exodus 32.30 in the New American Standard Bible, it says, And on the next day Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you and your sin. I want you to notice the basis of Moses praying because he did not approach God and say to him, God, listen, I know that your your people out there uh, have done something wrong, but it's really not as bad as you think. You know, I know that they may have done something that upset you and they've acted stupid, but Lord, on the basis of their goodness, would you have mercy on them? He did not appeal to God on the basis of their goodness. Here's the challenge for us today in our culture. We live in a culture today, and we hear this argument all the time. We appeal to God on the basis of the goodness of our own hearts. We begin to think, Lord, I deserve something because of my faithfulness, or, Lord, I don't expect that you'll pour out your wrath on this earth because people are basically good, and we appeal to God's mercy on the basis of the goodness of humanity. That is wrong. That is wrong. You see, Moses saw the severity of their sin, and he knows that the wrath of God is exactly what they warrant. And if we, as God's people, don't understand the difference, we will never be motivated to pray for the lost with the passion that we should if we think that people deserve something good from God rather than what we really deserve of the wrath of God. So instead of appealing to some apparent goodness of man, Moses appeals to the intrinsic quality of God and says, Oh God, save them for your name's sake. Yes. Do this for your glory because they don't deserve it. But God, I'm standing and I'm pl- praying a, a pleading prayer that you would not give us what we deserve. But instead, Lord, would you, would you allow the goodness of your heart to show mercy? And then after that, you would think, he's already pleading in prayer. How can it get even more intense? But it does. In verse 31, it says Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people has committed a great sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, very well. But if not, please wipe me out of your book, which you have written. Stop and think about that for a minute. What a prayer. What a statement. We see this again in Paul in Romans chapter 9 when he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my countrymen and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now Moses and Paul both knew that according to the purposes and the promises of God, what they were asking for was not possible. But this is what I mean when I'm talking about the role of desperate, pleading prayer on behalf of God's people that would come to the point of saying, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to save the lost, whatever it takes to remove your wrath, God, take my own life if necessary, but glorify yourself and exalt your name in the salvation of these souls. That is pleading, intense prayer. Brothers and sisters, do we pray this way? Do we plead like this for the salvation of souls around us, our nation, and the world? As we look at the condition of our nation and the condition of our world, are we motivated to plead with God, not on the basis of the goodness of humanity, but on the basis of his loving name, that he would save us? that somehow God would use our pleading to achieve his purposes, to glorify the name of God as the defender of the poor and the deliverer of the slave and the savior of the people. We pray, God, you purchased them, men and women from every tribe and every nation and every tongue, so we plead, God, do whatever it takes. Use my life, my money, my talent, my resources, my connection, God, whatever it takes. We plead for the lost, God, God. Have mercy on sinners. Which leads us to what Moses prays next in Exodus 33 when he pleads for God's presence and power. In verses 1 through 3, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. You and the people that you brought up out of Egypt must leave it. Go up to the land I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said to them that I will give it to your children after you and I will send an angel ahead of you and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land that has plenty of milk and honey, but I will not go with you. You are stubborn and I might destroy you on the way. So God tells Moses, the land is yours. Everything that I've promised is yours. You get all of the natural provision. Everything that the people have been praying for and desiring, I'm giving it all to you. Since they've been crying out as slaves in Egypt, this is what they've wanted. I'm fulfilling my promise. But I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to drive out your enemies because I'm not going with you. In other words, you can have all of my promises and all of my blessings, but you can't have my presence. What would you do if you were in Moses' shoes? And the promises of God, I'm going to give you everything but me. And be careful not to answer too quickly because you and I are tempted in a strangely similar way every day as individuals and certainly as a church culture. And maybe even today as we prepare to lay hands upon people and pray that God brings healing into them, our temptation is, Lord, I do not desire that my prayers would be reduced to just fulfilling your promises. Because there are times in our lives honestly when our prayers are, Lord, you have promised this. I've held this promise in my Bible. I've underlined it. I've always felt it's my promise. Would you just fulfill your promise? And sometimes we are satisfied at that level. Just give me what I want. Just give me what you promised. And we become so satisfied with the blessings of God that we never even recognize that He didn't go with us and that we have missed out on His presence. And we are faced with the choice of having everything that God has promised at the expense of His presence and we are mighty tempted to lean toward just wanting His blessing. And that's personally. I also represent a corporate setting in our church today, and David Platt states it like this as he talks about church culture. You and I are tempted every day to do the work of God apart from the power and the presence of God in a corporate church setting. We have created a whole host of methods in the church to do ministry today that require little, if any, help from the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to fast and pray for the church to grow. We have marketing for that. We don't have to pray for crowds to come. We have publicity for that. It is possible. It is dangerously possible for you and I to carry on the machinery and activity of the church, and it can be smooth and it can be so successful that we've never even noticed that the Holy Spirit is absent from it. Platt goes on to say, if we are not careful, we can mistake the presence of physical bodies in a building for the existence of spiritual life in a church. I wonder if the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day may be our attempts at being satisfied with the promises of God being fulfilled and not really caring whether we have his abiding presence. It may be the attempt of God's people to do the work of God apart from the power of God or the spirit of God is something that we get used to. And we have right up here a mission statement. It says to be God's people. That's who we are called, living in God's power, fulfilling God's purposes. We can't leave out the middle part. We can't can't live in God's power or fulfill His presence without the power and the presence of the Lord. And we can't reduce our God to only giving us what we want. The greatest hindrance to the gospel may not be the self-indulgent immorality of our culture, but the self-sufficient mentality of a church that is evident within our prayerlessness. So what does Moses do when he is faced with the possibility of having all of God's promises And not God's presence. He prays. He goes back into the tent of meeting. And there's verses 7 through 11 that talk about that. And then we get to verses 12 and 13. And Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and I have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In other words, Moses knows when he is praying that there is an obvious discrepancy between what God is calling him to do and his own resources. Oh, that we would understand that. That what God is calling us to do in our own selves, we are not capable of that. He knows he can't do the work of the Lord alone. He knows he needs God with him and he will settle for nothing else. So he stays in the tent until God says in verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now we look at that and go, wow, that's fantastic. But it wasn't for Moses. Moses. Because Moses knew he was a leader and he didn't just want God with him, he wanted God with all the people. And so he continues in verse 15 and Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? Moses doesn't just want God's presence and power with him. He said the whole church needs it. We need God. We need the presence of God in the midst of our people today. We can't do this on our own. We need God. We need God. We need to fall on our faces and pray pleading prayers for God to show his power among his people. That is why when you get to the pages of the New Testament, you see so few exhortations even praying for the lost and so many exhortations for the prayer of God's people that they might have the power of God among them so that they can do his work. For when God's presence is there among his people, everything else takes care of itself. Interesting in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, that Jesus is speaking these words. I want you to just stop for a moment and think about Jesus is saying this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask God or ask my father. Here's the way you need to approach dad about this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about the conditions of the world. It's ready and it's ripe. It's it's ready to be harvested. People are ready to receive Jesus Christ. So how do we pray? Lord, wake up your spirit-empowered people and get them out into the field where the harvest is ready to be brought in. And in the presence of God, under the power of God, your people can do great things for God and for the glory of your name. It's mind-boggling to me that you and I would be called upon by Christ to tell God what he needs to do and who he needs to send in order to accomplish the purposes that he desires. And then you get to Acts chapter four. And this particular passage is about a persecuted church scattering everywhere. And I find it fascinating that their prayer is so different than my prayer when I'm facing persecution. My prayer when I'm facing it, Lord, kill the enemy. I'll praise your name. Just wipe them out, Lord. Their prayer was, God, empower us. In Acts 4, 29 through 31, it says, now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, we know that we're under persecution. We know that you were using this to spread the gospel. And they said, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Did you notice? Don't spare us from this. Give us power. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Lord, would you empower us enough that wherever we go in your presence, miracles take place. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, God, would you wake your American church up today to quit praying that you'd get us out of all the little difficulties we've got and start praying that you would empower us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live in a world in where you are present, your miracles will take place and your name will be glorified. They pleaded for the presence of God and the power of God to be upon his people. And God answered. And signs and wonders were a natural outflow of his presence among his people. And by the next chapter, multitudes are being added to the kingdom. So this is how we're going to pray today when we start praying for people to be healed. I believe in the past sometimes we've gotten used to saying, Lord, I'm coming and here's my need. I just need you to be a God of promises. Today we're going to be praying in the name of Jesus that the power of God would be evident at work through his people and because of the presence of the Lord, the natural outflow of that will be signs and wonders that glorify his name, not any of us. Not any of us. Let me repeat that, not any of us. It's for the glory of God. So let us not settle for prayerlessness and so settle for powerlessness. But let us plead for God to do in our church and around the world what only God can do. Jonathan Edwards said this, only God can do the work of God. It is his will that when God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it will be preceded by extraordinary prayer of his people. So we plead for God's mercy among sinners. We plead for God's power and presence among his people. And thirdly, Moses pleads for God's glory on the earth. I look at this I'm going, man, Moses, you were really pushing the envelope there. You've already been bold enough. God relented his wrath on your people. He said he would give them what he promised. And then he promised his presence to go with them. And if I'm Moses, I'm pretty content at this point. As a pastor, I'm going, it's been a good day. Not Moses. Because he says in... The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, okay, then show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Now, I want you to just to think for a moment about the person that was making this request and what they'd already seen. This is a man who got to speak with God in a burning bush, heard the voice of God in a burning bush in the middle of a desert that was not being consumed. This is the man who had a front row seat to the splitting of a sea. This is the man that saw God lead his people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is the man who struck a rock and water came out of the rock to replenish his people. This is the man who prayed and bread fell out of the sky. This is the man when everybody else was warned to stay away, he was personally invited by God to climb up the mountain. And to commune with God. If anyone had seen the glory of God, it was Moses. He had seen so much. But here's the deal. He wanted more. There is something about the glory of God that once you taste it, you have an insatiable desire for more. So Moses prayed, and he pleaded for God to show him the fullness of his glory, which cracks me up. Because God is saying, You don't know what you're asking for. A complete revelation of my glory would annihilate you. So Moses was pleading for that which would obliterate him. What a way to go. But God agrees and says, I'll show you my back, a partial view, which we see in the next chapter as a breathtaking picture of God's faithfulness and His forgiveness and His goodness and His glory. And folks, this is the end result of our prayer. I want to see his glory. How about you? Worship team, would you please come? We pray, not just for the promises, we pray because we want God. We want his presence. We want his power. And so do not underestimate the role of desperate pleading prayer in your life over your family and over your church. Plead with God's mercy for sinners. Plead that he would relent his wrath. Plead for God's presence and power to be among his people. Plead for more of God's glory in our life. And then keep on pleading until the day we see his face. Because until then, we get to participate in God's unfolding plan. And he's about to unfold more of his plan today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. And we are going to sing that song again. I speak Jesus. Sing it in victory and sing it in preparation.
1: again I just want to speak Just wanna speak the name of Jesus till so every dark addiction starts to break. shine through the shadows, burn like a fire, cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name
0: is love, yes it is, yes it is, yes it is, the candle, shine through the shadows, hallelujah I'm going to invite our prayer teams if you would please come forward and be prepared to pray with people for those of you that may just want men to pray for you then there's going to be a group of men for those of you ladies that I would prefer just to have women to pray for me there's going to be a group of just ladies and then there's going to be a group over here that are couples together We need God. We need God. We have declared it in song. We have received it through the word. And now with an expectancy in our heart, we're going to respond. The way we're gonna do this today is our worship team is gonna sing another song and then there's just gonna be some music in the background and we're going to invite you just to come. There are a lot of people up here we can handle all the needs you got. Maybe you're here today and your need is not necessarily for healing. Maybe you're here today and say, you know what? I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized in the Spirit. I I need that boldness and that power in order to be a person of God, living under the purposes of God. If that's what you need, then there's nobody up here that won't be able to pray with you and lead you into that. If you need a physical touch in your body today, the presence of the Lord is here, and as an outflow of His presence, there's healing. I pray today that we as a church have been stirred. We can't just sit on the sidelines and watch and complain. God wants us in the game in prayer. It's time for us to plead in prayer because we can shape history. So, Father, I pray now in preparation that all of the intercessory prayers that we have prayed over these weeks, the sense of your abiding presence that we feel right now, would you glorify yourself through the power of the name of Jesus, touching and healing lives. And Father, we will give you all the glory because it is you that's doing the work. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you don't have any needs and you wanna feel free to go, you may do so. We'll wait as long as it's necessary till everybody that wants prayer today has been prayed for. Won't you come right now? Just, Just come as we begin to sing in the powerful name of Jesus.